Good morning, everybody. This is David Paddock, and you are listening to the Machination Log movie crew review of Sullivan's Travels. Uh, Unfortunately, we had a sound file snafu, and we only have the backup, so we start about three minutes into the conversation, but basically we were just talking about the fact that we are doing Criterion Collection stuff, and how it's great to be back. Enjoy. So, uh, but yeah, one of the one of the things, the reason I picked Sullivan's Travels is that um, one of the aspects they do do in Criterion is uh, is uh, uh, more classic Hollywood films, and so I figured I wouldn't really go in the direction of world cinema, right? Because I kind of picked a lot of uh, European, uh, you know, non English black and white movies before, so I might as well not uh, fill up my tally. So I figured I'd pick an American black and white film. Yay! Yay! So um, Sullivan's Travels is one of those. Uh, classic Hollywood films, and I do think this is a pretty classic movie. Um, it's a little bit of a satire on the Hollywood. It is, thing. yes, and but yeah. it's it's one of the favorite things that Hollywood likes to make movies about Hollywood. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say making in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, this that's movie. what they know the most about, really, because they don't really seem to know much about like anything else. And this movie has some prescient commentary <laughs> to that fact, I believe, as yeah. well. Yeah, as far as being self-referential goes, this movie. Um, takes it, it doesn't necessarily take it to another level, but it absolutely is more introspective about having tried to do what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it does manage to be a commentary on itself in a way that a lot of these, when they try to wink and nod at the fact, you know, not to shit on Ryan's literally first pick for this whole shindig, but Birdman. Ah. Yeah, which is a Hollywood movie about Hollywood people in the Hollywood system. Well, in, in the, in the uh, not the Hollywood system. It's about system, keeping it real in, in the theater. Broadway, yeah, yeah, in the Broadway system. But it's this, still like meta, as like performers, like, you know, the people in the industry are doing media about the industry. And, and in the process, they, they're trying to make a movie about that, but they also need the movie to be about that. Like, mm-hmm. it's trying to provide commentary on their own honest attempt to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just wraps in on itself all good. Uh, Ryan, do you want to take us on a journey? <laughs> the sojourn of travels. Um, so Sullivan's Travels is directed by a guy named Preston Sturgis. And um, it's... So... As when you are when you inevitably have to get into film, I think if you haven't or weren't raised on this, because I I spent a lot of time I've seen a lot of older Hollywood films. Um, yeah, like I, I've talked before on this podcast about how um, Wild West movies and early it were like a big part of my like of my childhood, and that's like a classic staple of like Hollywoodism that is like uh, located there. Uh, I, I've watched a lot of old movies growing uh, when I was younger, growing up, and if you haven't had that um, history behind you, if you haven't enjoyed a lot of old Hollywood movies. I think that inevitably there is always, you know, some like tiny bits of Hollywood you get thrown in uh, from like the 30s to the. I'm talking about really the 30s to the 50s. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. That, that is when Hollywood the comes. Classic to, era. Well, you know, that's when they like put a sign on a on a mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, like fucking announcing their presence to the world. Um, it's when, you know, the idea of a kind of glamorous world uh, that's distinct, the Tinseltown idea of of Hollywood is created. And it has its own allure, it has its own culture, it has its... Uh, and even to this day, I think that the one thing that could really, like, maybe compare to it in the modern sense would be like a, like Silicon Valley. You know, something that has its own mythos, its own identity. It's its own bubble. It's a culture, yeah. It's like a, yeah. It's a culture in and of to itself. And I think that that's what kind of, uh, to me at least, uh, I think Hollywood really represented during this time period is this, like, Silicon Valley idea where, like, you know, th- new things are happening 
smart, intelligent people go. A lot and, of money with yeah, exactly. the system. It's a lot of disruption going on. Yes, and but also then there's a, like a level of self-importance that goes along with it as well. And I don't disruption. Yeah, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm all for a little bit of inflated self-importance, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, well, speaking personally, but um, but so Sullivan's travels kind of takes place in this in this period in this era. Uh, in this culture, and um, it's a send-up of it, right? It's a satire of it. Yes. Uh, Preston Sturgis, uh, doing a little basic internet research, uh, he was a wealthy bitch before he even became a filmmaker, which is not all that uncommon, apparently. Like, because you Howard needed... Howard Hughes and stuff? Yeah. You've got to be the richest person in the uh, world, De- then you can make the best movies. DeBille, um, uh, all, a lot of the early Hollywood directors came from this kind of aristocratic background because, you know, financing was so dire in, in that time period that if you weren't at least either had, like, established social connections to people with, you know, a million point five of money in 1940 dollars. Yeah, exactly. If you didn't have that shit lying around or know people who had it, it was really difficult to get financing. The 30s were rough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, <laughs> like, um, so... They were the, the aughts of their day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's also interesting is that a lot of these guys were, were, ra- uh, were classically educated, you know, I mean, like, you know, they learned Greek when they were, like, 12 years... You know what I mean? Like, classically educated, you know, like... Genuinely useless information floating through their hands. Hey, I took Latin. Yeah. Three years. All right. Yeah. Uh, no. I, I'm well, good, I'm good at I'm good at you know you know uh, derivatives and figuring out what words mean. Excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, so these so but what's, what's funny is that this is also you know these people who are raised classically kind of are known for uh, filmmaking. Let's just say back to the 30s and the 50s. It's not exactly cutting edge filmmaking, right? It's not exactly like on the cusp of of, of social progress. Um, or so, no. or, or societal That's ideas. That's one thing. It's it's not. I mean, like technology wise and stuff, mm-hmm. you, we're we're definitely moving forward. But there's there's definitely kind of like a like a like an insular, almost like naivete mm-hmm. about movies from the 30s through the the 50s. Mm-hmm. Like they just don't get that gritty and real. Like everything still has to be painted in a nice mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood you know, sheen and glow. And I think, but one of the other key things too during this era and why I think when we, when we watch a film from, uh, from really any, any time before the seventies, yeah. when we watch film in America, any time before the seventies, uh, you also have to realize that censorship is a very real and powerful force. And I mean like legal censorship. So for, you know, it's kind of shocking to people to realize that like pornography was like Something you, if you, if you were found, if a policeman found pornography on your possession in many states in the 1960s, you would go to jail as being charged yeah. with a crime, because well, it was illegal. And the idea of like, <laughs> the idea of like legal censorship today is so foreign to a lot of people that, but this was a very, this was this was reality for yeah. them. Well, it's funny because I most of my old movie. Uh, watching came with with my aunt who, mm-hmm. who passed away last year and she used to tell us because the movies were all essentially rated g they weren't rated but you know some movies were more risque than others like they might have like an extramarital affair mm-hmm. in them or something so the catholic church she said back when she was a kid going to the movies actually had like a rating system yep. and one of her favorite movies gilda mm-hmm. was like you know like considered to be like one of the like you know worst movies so mm-hmm. she wasn't like allowed to see it because the catholics said that you know this is way too racy for 
for proper people. Yeah, there. In fact, there are. There were several um, censorship boards, or you know, there's like content advisory yeah. boards, or, you know, all the kind of you know bureaucratic euphemisms <laughs> that go with those. Um, but a lot of them were, you know, um, multi-religious, multi-ethnic yeah. um, censored censors uh, uh, reviewing all these films. So but, for, yeah, these were like third-party people that would go like after the fact and mm-hmm. be like, "Listen, you shouldn't watch this. This is way too risque for mm-hmm. you know the." And the that, sensible folk. And, and that was the result of a non-unionized format to the distribution channels. Because mm-hmm. the MPAA exists, the one that does all the rating nowadays, mm-hmm. f- to whatever effect that has anymore in the era of the internet. Um, because the MPAA is essentially employed by every cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regal, AMC, they all subscribe to this one organization for the purpose of deciding whether or not to screen films. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't necessarily exist. No, I mean, you made contracts with, like, individual theaters kind of on your own. Like, you had to get your own distribution, and every town kind of had its own, like, oh, this is, you know, how we're, we're, we're rating things. Like mm-hmm. I said, usually led by religious institutions and such before that. The Hayes Court. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, but even today, uh, there's theaters, um, theaters in Alabama and Mississippi are going to refuse to show the new... Um, the new Beauty and the Beast version because it has a gay character in it. Uh, and, but once again, these things still come back to us, right? The idea that like, you know, social mores is demonstrated through film. I guess this new Beauty and the Beast is a G or PG. And that's not, you know, there are, there is a disagreement. Even, I mean, this, the 20 fucking 17 and, you know, this <laughs> and is still. And we're still having these problems. Yeah, and it makes sense that it's in the South, but like still, you know, like these things are, are still, uh, uh, present and, uh, are still struggles today. Um, I mean, obviously, we've kind of, you know, know that there's, like, an adult world and a realm where, like, you know, pretty much anything goes except for, like, penetration. And, you know, like, then there's, like, the family world where it's supposed to be more strictly controlled and there's always disagreements about, you know, what straddles that line between a G or a PG movie and then a PG-13 versus a PG movie. But Which is why we have a Kafkaesque organization working behind the scenes with a... With absolute uh, Im- just impunity mm-hmm. in its, there's actually a movie about the MPAA oh, there called is? Uh, this uh, this film not yet rated. Mm-hmm. I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, where so, this this group of documentarians, I, I don't the documentary could have been better, but it at least attempts to shed light on this yeah. organization, and they have to try really hard to even figure out who actually rates these movies. Yep. it's tough going. Like they are behind. Many, many panes of glass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the purpose of not being influenced by the culture. Yeah. Um, because it, much like our Supreme Court, since this is an entirely American discussion, this is totally salient. Um, we, <laughs> we always have a conservative Supreme Court, and that's just sort of the way it is. There's this lag yeah. to mm-hmm. justice where the, the state of our culture has to push against the court hard enough for them to say something like, oh, well, gays was always part of the definition of marriage. Right. Just to renege, they have to be, they have to be behind. We pull them forward. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the movie theaters pull the MPAA forward. They pull forward these things. Because an R-rated movie can get away with a lot nowadays. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of shit you can do in an R-rated movie, implicitly and explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, and video games are sort of the same yeah. way. Um, that's just, that's, that's even art. just the way TV shows have come a and long TV way in the last way. probably 10 years, most dramatically, because TV was very, very censored until, you know, we started getting what, like the NYPD blue stuff. Well, and then like we moved into Game of Thrones and now it's like, dude, everything yeah, goes. Yeah. Even Gotta on, compete. Yeah. 
Well, I remember, you know, it's not, you know, we're old enough to remember probably like, you know, 10, 15 years ago when they started putting those little like uh, TV um, rating things at the yeah, top of the beginning. Yeah, that And it tells you why you should tune yeah. in. Yeah. Exactly. The drugs and the sex and the language. <laughs> like TV 14, TV MA. But it's just funny that when they instituted those rating systems, suddenly it's like, you know, like, whatever, man, have fun, you know, like, it's, let's wild, wild west this fucking thing. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's a good enough cut to get into the beginning of this movie. Yeah. yeah. So, Sullivan's Travels, once again, a movie about Hollywood, um, a movie that had to deal with, uh, I think it's, uh, all Hollywood movies from this period need to be taken, um, uh, with an understanding that there is a group of people, multiple groups, committees, of uh, representing various interests, um, censoring films, right? This is a big challenge for them, uh, for any filmmaker, or any writer wanting to get, uh, to make something in Hollywood. Was having to get through censors. Uh, so the quick example of this, right? So, oh no, actually, let's move on to the movie. Okay, so that movie, <laughs> Sullivan's Travels. So, um, a quick example of this, yeah, is in Sullivan's yes, Travels. Yes. Sullivan's Travels is a film about a movie director who wants to, uh, who's tired of making fluff movies, right? He's tired he of wants making sociological and artistically important, yes. like movies. That's yes. what he wants to, to move into. And he... Uh, Real art. But he's successful. He's like a really successful director at making these kind of puff pieces, right? These 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 uh, pop uh, films. And he wants to do something real. He wants to do something impactful. If you pander to the public, you'd still be in the horsey. You think we're not? Look at Hopalong Castle. You look at him. We'd still be making keystone chases, bathing beauties, custard pie And a fortune. Fortune. Of course, I'm just a minor employee here, Mr. LeBrand. He's starting that one again. I wanted to make you something outstanding. Something you could be proud of. Something that would realize the potentialities of film as the sociological and artistic medium that it is. With a little sex in it. Something like... Something like Capra. I know. What's the matter with Capra? Look. And um, he's decided that in order to do this... Uh, he's going to make a film called Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is based on apparently some big book. Um, and his uh, executives that he's talking with in the first scene, uh, it's one of the kind of like classic oh, the 40s. Witty, yeah, the witty banter oh, between God. the two executives and Sullivan, our art director. That was that was actually really good. I really liked the opening oh, yeah. little thing. And they're basically trying to talk him out mm-hmm. of going on this expedition to find like hardship in real life because... They just don't see any purpose for this. Well, and it's it's one of those things too where you tend to like realize that there's a lack of rhythm in a lot of like um, in a lot of co- uh, content in film and dialogue. You know, because we, I think one of the most striking things about like um, Serenity that we mm-hmm. talked about was the like the pacing and the beat the structure. Contaminant yeah, the of beat the writing. Structure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the beat structure uh, that it flowed and had a rhythm to uh, any 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 set scene. Right, there was a flow and a rhythm. The characters had their own speaking styles. Um, this is out, uh, Serenity is obviously a more stylized version of this, but like, you know, a lot of films from this period, there is so much emphasis and they had like, you know, some actually, you know, some rather reputable, uh, people working on films during these time periods, like William Faulkner, Graham Greene, um, Raymond Chandler, all of these older writers from the thirties and forties spent time in Arthur Hollywood, Miller. Uh, Arthur Miller writing films, working on dialogue as a, as a key component uh, no, because the dialogue is the dialogue, especially in this opening sequence, is very good. Well, it's you know we're only ten years from talkies being a thing <laughs> anyway, and they had like really kind of focused on this being like you know if this is our new possibility here where people can actually talk. Um, there's like really great dialogue uh, in a lot of films from this time period uh, because an emphasis is put so heavily on you know the the, the way in which characters converse with each other. And like in White Christmas, the mm-hmm. other, the closest movie we have back in our catalog so far, um, 
there's a lot of blocking to go along with this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of continuous shots. Yeah. I believe the first, not the very first scene where they're where they're previewing um, uh, the Sullivan's train, yeah. first bust movie, attempting to show the clash of labor and capital uh, <laughs> in the form of a train jujitsu fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, but That's uh, some pretty good jujitsu in that train fight. I was there's a lot of close guard going on. Yeah, but yeah. the um, it was a good good mount transition too. Oh yeah. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But the, uh, yeah. Well, neither do we. There's, okay. um... I know what I'm talking about, man. Alright, fine. <laughs> One of us knows. Anyway, uh, the, the next scene, like in White Christmas, when, um, actually it's a very parallel scene. Yeah, where it was Bing Crosby and the other, the other crooner were talking, or the, uh, the comedian, Kay, Dan yeah. K, uh, were basically arguing about what they were going to do with their mm-hmm. future, and, you know, they're, like, getting dressed and undressed, and they're throwing things to each other, and they have to be standing in certain spots, or the scene literally oh, yeah. just wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And it works, like, because as soon as the one line stops, the other guy's line comes in, and it's just the... It's so tight. Like, they're mm-hmm. right on top of each other. Like, you could... It'd be, it'd be very hard-pressed to, like, see a conversation that could, like... Be so quick oh, back and forth. It would be like almost. That. It would be impossible yeah. to improvise that conversation. Mm-hmm. This one, I don't think. I mean that that scene with Danny Kane being Crosby is maybe the best example of it I've ever seen and in a movie. And this one's not quite that good, but it's still really, yeah. really fun to watch. Yeah. Clean young people who fell in love with laughter and music and legs. Now take that scene in Hey Hey in the but head But you off. don't realize conditions have changed. There isn't any work. There isn't any food. These are troublous times. What do you know about trouble? What do I know about trouble? Yes, what do you know about trouble? What do you mean, what do I know about trouble? Just what I'm saying. You want to make a picture about garbage cans. What do you know about garbage cans? When did you eat your last meal out of one? Well, what's that got to do with it? He's asking you. You want to make an epic about misery. You want to show hungry people sleeping in doorways. The newspapers around them. You want to grind 10,000 feet of hard luck. And all I'm asking you is, what do you know about hard luck? Yes. Yeah, they just go at it. And it's just one after the other after the other. And, you know, it's... Once again, it's something that's typical, but not. Uh, but it's but it's really good when it's well done. Yeah. Because like a lot of the films from this period, they have a lot of this in it, and some of it is more. Let's just say it's more enjoyable than others. And some of the actors that you probably you know like Humphrey Bogart and people like that have, you know, their ability to kind of deliver these lines in really effective ways. Uh, with and then find I think the kind of chemistry that works as well because there's a pattern and the timing to this, and it's what is probably the most one of the most challenging parts of being an actor during this time period is being able to like recite these lines in, in this kind of very formulaic but rather, you know, demanding way. It's, like, it's exhausting. It, because, and it, a lot of that is because the mood is changing through the scene. Mm-hmm. There, not everyone is in the same situation emotionally from A to B. There's A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. And they have to somehow convey that. Um, they, they have to gesticulate to, to show that without it looking ridiculous at the mm-hmm. same time. Like, they can't make it look like a play. Yeah. Um, though they only sort of get away from that a lot of the time. Um, no, some, yeah, sometimes stuff does but, feel like a play but, way too much. Mm-hmm. This, but, but that's this, super hard that. to do because yeah. it, it requires, it requires a natural transition between states that are not all that similar to one another. Right. Um, you know, even within this scene, Sullivan starts off being angry, and then he's committed, mm-hmm. and then he's, like, having to retreat from the lies the executives are telling him about their hard luck Yeah, past. Yes, yeah. because even the executives that are trying to, like, sound sympathetic, but they're really, you find out at the end, not sympathetic because they're as fucking, like, silver-spooned as Sullivan is. They don't know what they're t- actually talking about either, but they're trying to be persuasive nonetheless. And it's it's just fast, and <laughs> that, that actually translates into the plot of this movie. I mean, you, we can sum up the plot of this movie as, you know, director Sullivan. guy gets what he wants. Sullivan goes on travels. Um, but... 
the plot of this movie, it moves and moves and moves and yeah. moves. It. Like, there's a lot of points in this movie. So, uh, I think that overall, though, there's, I think we gotta approach this movie because there are basically kind of, um, this movie has some abrupt tonal transitions in it. Uh, and there are basically three types of movies in this one. Um, slapstick comedy for the first third. Oh, yeah. rom- romantic comedy for the middle third. Uh, and then it transitions into a kind of social commentary, social realism, a la Frank Capra, who gets mentioned in the first scene, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know how green was my valley, John Ford kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it goes into that uh, part towards the second. Then we get a little Hollywood ending at the end, right? So as we approach each of these each of these movies in its thirds, um, I think it's just kind of useful to go through, maybe talk about what was interesting or uh, what we have with it. I'm going to kind of leave off the kind of pontificating maybe towards the end a little bit and just That's try to where talk the about the movie leaves it. So. Yeah, exactly. And so we're going to kind of just roll through this bad boy. So uh, Sullivan is determined to go and find some hardship. He wants some trouble. I think is what his exact yes. words were. Yeah. Uh, he wants some trouble in order to better connect with the themes uh, uh, of wanting to have a meaningful, um, a meaningful film that speaks to the troubles of real people in today's society. He wants to method direct. Yeah, he wants to method direct. <laughs> so he, of course, to do this, he has to go home. And but it's act the part. Yeah, act the part. Yes. So he calls in like he's like get get costuming on the line so I can get a tramp outfit. And, and he, he goes back to his house to put the tramp outfit on, and he's got his butler yeah. like helping him on. He's one like, of his two butlers. Yeah, one of his two. He has valet. His other, the other guy's a valet. Yes, a butler and a valet. Yes, so apparently that's how you do things. Yeah. Um. But he um. <laughs> well, one calls the car and one polishes the shoes. There we go. Excellent. <laughs> my, my modes of conveyance uh, help. So he um. But one of the things is he has this real, he has this jacket on and he's like I don't know if this is tramp enough trampy enough for me. I get the other jacket that's like missing a sleeve, and like ripped down the side. Um, and then his his overweight butler gives him a, a a nice little speech about how he really doesn't want to find trouble because essentially, and this I think this theme kind of rolls through not as clearly as it should, but it's there because. But essentially, you know, because poor people are poor for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see, sir. Rich people and theorists, who are usually rich people, think of poverty in the negative, as the lack of riches, as disease might be called the lack of health. But it isn't, sir. Poverty is not the lack of anything, but a positive plague, virulent in itself, contagious as cholera, with filth, criminality, vice, and despair, as only a few of its symptoms. Generally yeah. speaking, and that well, no, there are two versions of that trope that sort of do and don't go through the movie. Yeah. The first one is that Sullivan ends up back in Hollywood no matter what he does, because yeah. that's uh, the kind of guy he is. Yeah, it's like funny. he's he's got a destiny yeah. to his uh, providence. Um, but then the other side of it is that he talks about uh, the butler talks about how poverty is not an absence. Yeah, it fills your life <laughs> with misery. Yes, um, and it drowns out everything else. And that's about all the lip service it gets for the first half of the movie. Yeah. Well, and it's it's just a good. I mean, it's so well stated, and you know, you you kind of see it from this kind of privileged side, which is that you know, people that haven't like experienced hardship or poverty on that level, like it's not that I got I'm running it down that they like romanticize it, but I don't think it's like a romant like it's not like romanticized. Like you don't like they don't want to have and want to be or experience it, but they fill it with a kind of meaning and purpose. That is absurd. Well, it's almost like, like, yeah, like a yin and yang. Like, oh, I need to understand this. You know, like, they feel like they need some kind of balance, which, but it's not, it's not actually what they need. Well, and to, to speak of a very modern affectation, and by the way, just like every one of these movies always, 
same shit, different day. Like, everything they talk about, you know, exposing the hypocrisies of our time, like, all of the themes of this movie, still alive in yeah, world today. Yeah. But the, um, but it, it, the poverty that I imagine Sullivan is thinking of, um, extremely popular today, I thought with, you, you, uh, said yin and yang, I thought this yeah. was gonna be the segue. Um, East Asiatic poverty in the form of Buddhism, Taoism, mm-hmm. Stoicism. Yeah. Uh, those are... Minimalism. Yeah, minimalism. Yeah. Those are not poverty. Those are an absence of clutter. Paucity. Paucity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's clutter being removed from your life. Poverty does nothing but clutter your life with fear and anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the exact opposite of that. Yes, I find that once again this idea that like poor people don't work hard. If you've ever met a poor person, all they're <laughs> yeah, doing is working, working hard. All the being, time. They're yeah. working hard at being poor all the time. Yeah, and I'd well, that, that's always been the cynical look at the use of the word labor to describe poor people. <laughs> yeah, oh, as God. if as if everyone above them knows that what they do is not work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to make a quick note, too, because you, you said the first section of this movie is slapstick, and I really actually enjoyed the slapstick part of this, because here's, Very what, well I, done. here's what I thought when we were going into this, and here's my modern day, uh, about Sullivan. Sullivan is like uh, the guy Liz Lemon in uh, 30 Rock uh-huh. takes the face... So just the thought of the guy with, like, the face trying to pose <laughs> mm-hmm. as a poor person is so ridiculous because we know that a guy that good-looking is going to end up in Hollywood no matter what, even if he did start out fucking poor, which this yeah. guy didn't, because he's just got the face that gets you everywhere. Yeah. Well, and So it's, it's just such a it's such a silly idea to begin with that this guy's gonna like pose with poor people <laughs> well and it should be it's so his uh, so in order to go out because this guy's such an asset and, and like this is what's funny he's yeah. an asset to the studio yeah because in order for them to go through with this the studio puts a condition on him that they have to like have this like traveling yes, caravan I love this too this was great this traveling caravan and they have like a million dollar yeah. policy on him in yes. case he gets hurt yes <laughs> Oh god damn it. So the uh, the, the studio, land yacht. Yeah, the land yacht. The studio decides they've got this traveling caravan. Let's just see. It's a studio guy. It's a doctor, a fucking pu- two a writer and a publicist and a cook and a driver, all of these people and he's like walking down the street in his tramp outfit followed by this massive studio double decker bus. Full of it's good shit. It's oh god, that was good. good. That was I I yeah, I really I almost wish the movie would have followed that because I really just liked the whole like the land yacht just following him. Mm-hmm. I was th- that was that was just great. And again, what could be more aughts into yeah. tens reality television than being followed around by a bus full of professionals mm-hmm. doing real things? Yes. Like, yeah, that's that's since, where we went. That's, yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what we did. So, 1941. Yeah. Called it. Yeah. I thought network was prescient. So he um so he uh has a little end round, he tries to get away from him by picking up some some thirteen-year-old made uh, in a car with fucking like whip a tank. Yeah, the whip a tank. Uh, so they have a little, a little uh, high speed chase. High speed chase. A lot of slapstick. Yeah, man. That poor black cook oh. really gets tossed around a lot. That that speedometer is my favorite. Yeah, it's just painted on <laughs> at one twenty. <laughs> so good. So um, so then he uh, after you know put these people through the ringer, he decides he's like, all right, I'll tell you what. Well, just just meet me in in Las Vegas, which is there's another great Vegas joke in there, by the way. But anyway, just meet me in Vegas, 
and we will, um, and then I'll just meet you there, right? Well, we'll have our experiences and we'll go there. So his and journey we'll out, up, yeah, yeah he, his journey out, he uh, apparently gets some work on a homestead or a farm. <laughs> With the two well, yeah, he finds he finds a rich lady on a farm by himself and pretends he doesn't cut wood for her. Yeah, he's for doing the day, labor for her, and apparently they have the eyes out for him. You know, like because he's got the face. Yeah, he's got the face. Yeah, and so it's he just, can't escape. It's a quick sequence, but it's essentially that he's been like taken in by these women who are clearly wanting to seduce him for some sort of like slumming fantasy or yeah. something like that. And oh man, is it funny? So they they dress him. And uh, they, they want to go out with him, so they dress him in her old, her dead husband's suit, and then they go, they go to the movies, and it's like these poor people in their loud oh theater, in their loud theater fucking actions, like eating candy oh God, and it's, snooping. Uh, yeah, they're, and there's like the family with the kids, and they're all fucking loud and crying, and you just and it's great. the whole time it's when it's not panning to watch people inconsiderably eat their peanuts, mm-hmm. it has, the loudest possible methods we, in humanity. We don't even know what movies play. Because it's just looking at Sullivan the yeah. whole time, and there's the soundtrack to this movie is great for a reason that normally bothers me. One of the things I really like in No Country for Old Men is that it doesn't string you along with the soundtrack. Right. In this movie, it uses it for a much more interesting purpose, which is basically to provide you with the inner monologue in Sullivan's mm-hmm. head. And in this scene, where Sullivan is watching whatever the fuck is going on on the screen, and insignificant enough to him that he doesn't even like care to show us yeah. what it is. Yep. He's listening to this cacophony like make fun, they essentially make light or fun of the serious work that he does for a living and it's, the soundtrack to it is Chopin's Prelude number four. <laughs> like it's the most austere, yep. sad, solemn song playing in the background for orchestra. Mm-hmm. The whole time, and that happens at multiple points in this movie where the soundtrack is like burying what would otherwise be sound effects or even other yep. people talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so the attitude is so much more important than whatever these people have to say. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it, it is, it's, it's what's happening in Sullivan's head yeah. in a yeah. really good, solid way. So there's a there's a couple good see a couple good moments when he's as he's getting locked he gets locked in his bedroom yeah, with the women because, oh, God. yeah and one of course the only door that's available because he's trying to get out so he's all dressed up and he realizes his the front door of his room's locked so he goes and there's another door that leads to the bathroom, the bathroom. and then the other door out of the bathroom is into the woman's yeah who's bedroom. all dressed up in her frock yeah like oh you caught me so he. He escapes out the window, falls into a barrel and of the water. most ridiculous, he's like from the second floor, he ties a sheet, yep. like, climbs down like some sort of, oh, you know, God. escape from a child's book. So he falls into a barrel uh, of water and gets drenched and he's running, he's, he's fleeing from these women who have their illicit intentions with him. Um, uh, by the way, did you catch those women's names? Uh-uh. Okay, so here's the connective tissue between Armageddon and uh, oh, Solomon's Travel. You know, we were talking about the uh, origin of the Bechdel test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in in this movie, we have an even more exotic test we can apply. Do more than half of the women have names? Oh, very good. No. I'm going to say. Because the, the casting... Main, the main girl doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. There's the girl. Yeah. There is Mrs. Sullivan, mm-hmm. which is not a name. No. <laughs> there is Ursula, who's the maid in this scene... And Ms. Something, mm-hmm. I don't think her name's actually spoken, right. okay. is the seductress. Nice. And that's it. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> no yeah, And then the publicist. 
She doesn't have a name either. The mm-hmm. one other female character that has lines. Ah, yeah. And she only talks to men because she's the only female in the yep. movie crew group in the land yacht. Like, they, well, the women can't talk to each other. They don't even know how to address each other. <laughs> so we don't have to even get close to that second order, third order yeah, really. feminist bullshit of them, like, talking yeah, about they, non-males. They don't even get names. Yeah. So That's he's, pretty good. Yeah. He's, um... Wait, no. So he's, he gets sent back to, um, so yeah, he hitches a ride on a truck. The guy's like, sit in the back, yeah. you fucking, you tramp. Um, so he sits in the back, he's got, gives him a blanket at least. And uh, he goes and he drives away. And the guy wakes up, he's like, alright man, time to get up. And he's like, hey, you know, where am I? And he's like, Hollywood, man! Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood! <laughs> so Sullivan's back in Hollywood. <laughs> like, the, like the fucking vicious magnet that is. Pulls him back in, yeah. um, and then our romantic comedy starts. Yeah, so he goes to get some goes to get some lunch. All he's got is his ten cents that he got, took with him from his house, yeah. and apparently that's enough to buy um, a coffee and a donut or coffee. something. What do they call it? A sinker? Yeah, they call it a sinker. You sink it. Anyway, um, it's a good name for it. Yeah, but then no, lo and behold, when it comes to time that he doesn't have enough to an actual, for an actual meal, um, there is a woman. Who is a girl. fucking the girl? Um, yeah, the girl who is amazingly well dressed for so early in the morning. Yeah, in and Hollywood. she's apparently on her way to be a tramp too because she's failed at Hollywood. Absolutely. But yeah, she looks like a million bucks. Yeah, and she because she's Veronica Lake. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, so okay, guys. I, well, why did I pick this movie? So I watched this. I've seen this movie several times when I was younger. But you gotta imagine, you know, like a thirteen-year-old Ryan Riley having like a Hoover Dam-sized crush. On okay, I will Lake. say now. I find <laughs> like, I find that her her purpose in this movie is almost completely useless, but she is very easy on the eyes. Oh, I'll tell you what. Yes, no, it was. Yeah, I had. It was like. Yeah, it was big. It was big time. Oh, that's funny because I'm going to pick one of my old Hollywood crushes for the next one. Man, oh man! I mean, it's it's quite clear that they just addressed her as Veronica yes. on set. So yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, she's in, we have some snappy dialogue. Oh yes, oh yes. She, she plays eggs. the aggressor on this one, but then like, because he's still posing as a tramp, he's trying to help her out, but not be too like, hey, I'm a big movie producer, I'll put you in shit, hey. Yeah. Which he, but he does for not terribly long. Yeah. yeah. What'd you say? I said, can you act? Sure, I can act. Would you like me to give you a recitation? Go ahead. Skip it. My next act will be an impersonation of a young lady going home on the thumb. In that outfit? How about your own outfit? Mm, I mean, haven't you got a car? No, have you? No, but... Then don't get ritzy. And I'll tell you some other things I haven't got. He wants yeah. to help her, but he, does, he only has to tell her because he wants to take her for a ride. So he goes and borrows a friend's car and leaves a note, <laughs> but gets arrested... For stealing, for stealing his, his own, own car. It's very new money. He doesn't yeah. understand how any of this works. So they get, they get arrested together, and then he has to finally, I guess, then tell her that yeah. they're actually this way. They go back to his place. And Which gets, has, like, multiple swimming pools. Yeah, and they get, it's fucking huge. It's yeah, it's pretty other. It's pretty cush. Yeah. Par- Although you were saying they, they might have just filmed it at the director's house. Yeah, I think that might have been the case. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he... um. So he, uh, uh, they go back, they have a nice little back and forth banter, uh, by, you know, um, on the pool, there's a little push. Yeah, he's in still committed force. to this idea of finding poverty and tragedy and making a movie about it. You know, she wants to come along too because she needs a ride to Chicago or something. No, Chicago's halfway to where uh, she's yeah, going. Yeah, somewhere. He's like, where do you live, Bermuda? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, um, so yeah, so we're kind of like going through this little bad boy, um, uh, there's some, I guess, there's just some, like, it's just tidbits of the thing. Like, yeah. the thing's just like, I don't know, man, it's got a charm to it. Um, 
but the charm isn't necessarily... I mean, once again, to me, like, the guy who plays Sullivan, uh, McCray, McCready, I don't know his actor's name, he's not, but like, that's the thing, I don't know who he is. He's yeah. not like... He's he, just the face. He's yeah, just he, a good-looking Exactly. Dude. He's not, like, overly talented. Veronica Lake is not overly talented. I mean, she's, I think she's incredibly good-looking and attractive. That's a talent all its own. Yeah, exactly. In yes. Hollywood, that was the most important talent. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm a lot of times... I think that's still probably. Yeah, it's still, it yeah. still helps substantially. No, no, she was blessed by the gods, absolutely. So, she's... Um, but I just find that the charm of this film is more in its construction, and I think the way that it just... The sense of itself is fucking very important. I'll get into that. Oh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So they're going. They're hitting the road again, right? They're hitting the road. Right, yeah, this uh, time, this time, with the assistance of the butlers or the butler and the valet, they call ahead to see how tramps get on. The yeah, train. to see if tramps can go on the train oh, um, at the time requested, um, and that has one of the most. Like, this man must have been training for this all his life. The concierge mm-hmm. at the train station has this hand signal for wise guy that yeah. he looks like he's been doing since he was four yeah. years old. <laughs> it's rather incredible. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, arrangements are arranged. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they find their way to a brick of poor people. Which, yes. Which, well, to yeah, this point, he hadn't been able to find. Like, he literally couldn't even find poor people at yes. this point. Yeah. So, this time, um, he at least found them. Because they found out that you have to jump on the train slightly after the station once the train is moving. So, yeah. they drive their, their Bentley or their Rolls Royce over right outside the station to where the poor people actually are and outcomes We wouldn't want to be late. Yeah, yeah. Our, our director and Veronica Lake who's now dressed like a little tramp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god. That's pretty good. Oversized coat and everything. Yeah, with the really... big with the big hat oh, and the shit. perfectly pr- plucked eyebrows. Mm-hmm. It's it's good stuff. So they're And they're... the poor people are just like, what in the hell is going on here? Yeah, so they get they get they get on this like uh, on one of the train cars it's like full of like hay and shit yeah. and like they get down they sit they manage to get on the train with some late with some effort with some strain yeah. they get on the train they sit down and and, and the director Sullivan goes over and he sees to the other two tramps and he's like how do you feel about the labor situation <laughs> and they fucking get up and like go walk on the edge outside of the car and leave them alone that's good I shit. I think they even call them amateurs or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the, but the, I just, the, I, lo- I love the thought that that is, that's what's been going on in his head mm-hmm. the whole time. It's like, but what about the socioeconomic disparity? Yeah. And this is the way that he's like, he's, he's run this through five filters in his head before, yeah, exactly. before he came up with a labor situation. Like mm-hmm. that was the softest softball he could give oh, God, to like it. become a friend of poor people. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, the labor and, and then I'm like, you know, of, of course, you know, Miss Veronica like, who wants to go on this trip so bad is immediately after one night in the train complaining that she's like cold and hungry and getting irritated. And he's like, got hay fever. Yeah, he's, he's like, like sneezing like a bitch. Ugh. But then they manage to find, I guess, a poor people camp where like they go and get food and then there's the poor people church and then there's the poor people Shelter where they all pile on top of each other. Oh, we're not, we're not, we're not just there yet. Okay. Cause, like they get off, they the get tr- to the diner. Yeah, they get off the train. Yeah. Oh to, yeah, they get yeah. to the I'm diner, <laughs> and then like they don't have the money to pay. So well, guy, and Sullivan like, makes the joke. It's like, where do you think we stopped? It's like probably Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which is prescient. They then, um, yeah, no, he goes into the diner to get yeah to get some food, and they don't have the dime on him, but the guy gives him some coffee and a and a sinker. A donut, and um, he's like, he's like, I'm never gonna get rich off of this. And he's like, by the way, where the hell am I? 
And he's like, well, you're in Las Vegas. And he's like, hey, have you seen a fucking land yacht full of, like, a bunch of Hollywood weirdos? And he's like, what do you mean, like, that one out there? And they're fucking like, holy shit, we're saved. And so, like, the next scene is them, like, just... Just chowing down, down the land yacht. Veronica Lake, like, like hotcakes just, like, right into her face. The doctor's hole. like, oh, you can't get out of bed for three days. You're, yes. You can't be doing this. Oh, yeah, because this was God. after, like, one night on the train. Yeah, so we... But now that he's regained his equilibrium and safety... But he's so excited about this experience. Now he needs it again. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's addicted, yeah. Addicted to the tramp lifestyle. He wants it. So, um... He wants to feel it. So they're going back on the road again. <laughs> After some shit, um, I guess after the, he takes his his obligatory three days in bed as recommended by the doctor. Well, and there's also a great tax. There's a couple great tax jokes in this, where the one guy's like, "Hey, why are you, you know like why?" Um, when they're, when he gets arrested the first time, and he's like, the police officer goes to him, he's like, "Hey, who the hell are you?" He's like, "You know, like I'm fucking Sullivan, big shot Hollywood director." And he's like, "Why are you dressed like that?" And he's like, "I just paid my income tax." And yeah. Like, uh-huh. And then we find out that. There's he, a bunch of that he, also has, that he also has a wife that he married because his accountant suggested it'd be good for tax purposes, yeah, but then it. she ended up costing too much, so he's paying twice as much as the tax break he's getting from her, yes. and it's becoming a problem. His yeah. marriage is a fucking ripoff. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah. But now that he's met Veronica Lake, like many men who met Veronica Lake, suddenly they're they're questioning their relationship God decisions in the past. I know. Didn't wait long enough. I'm telling you. Should have just forfeited that twelve grand. I'm sure Ugh. Veronica Lake's pretty expensive too. Uh, it's, yeah, but it's worth it. That's the problem. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> so yeah, no. So what do we got going on? But she makes her own money too. She's a fucking movie star. Anyway, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I rest my case. Eventually, exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, commitment to the journey. Yeah. The now they run into institutionalized yeah. bumhood. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No. So. So the transition, because this is still like romantic comedy, right? There, yeah. And uh, all of these A lot these of scenes, banty, wi- yeah. A lot uh, of lot of banter, banter between yeah. them. Oh, good stuff. Um, but they're like, you know, they're 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 coming onto each other. They're feeling each other. They, they she admires his desire, his quixotic nature to enjoy poverty, uh, or seemingly at least <laughs> learn about it in some capacity. And she's like, I'm not doing anything else, and you're fucking fronting the bill. So yeah, let's keep this going with good. this. Yeah, let's do this. Um, so. Then, yeah, but then you're right, Nicole, that we do enter into kind of like the last section here, right? So we're kind of leaving the rom-com section. Um, when they do and are finally successful at going out and finding the poverty, and it is, um, when I looked it up, it is a seven-minute montage in the middle okay. of this film with no dialogue whatsoever of them going around... Um, you know, I guess seeing, all these institutionalized services that were available for poor people. Yeah, they finally the find poor people, right? Yeah. They finally and look find what they were looking for. Um, and the film shows it rather starkly. Um, I do have to say though that this this film does have some interesting points to it overall. Um, it's one of the few films during this time period to show integrated uh, integrated racial scenes. Uh, out in the world, right? There's yeah, like I did notice there was a substantial. I mean, of course, most of them were workers, but there was a substantial amount of black people given like screen time in various capacities, but hanging out. That's fully, what I mean. In, like, various in the same capacities. room together, yeah, yeah. Like this is you know very. I think you get like the the servile nature of it, you know, like the black but cook this, and stuff. But this but then is also appropriate because stuff like that disintegrates usually. It like. You know, in lower levels, because it's like the stodgy or upper class people that need to keep up the appearances. I mean, when once you get down to the poor people level, like at night, dude, nobody fucking gives a shit. Yeah, there's no tokenism. You know, everyone's like, everyone's fucking poor, and everyone fucks everybody, like in the lower classes, mm-hmm. really. 
and that's you know there's a good mix of 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 that in mm-hmm. this movie for being 1941 absolutely and, and even a straight up reversal of it near the end yeah so we get um so we're rolling through and um yeah they the, one of the last scenes in this big this big poverty montage is they go to a, like a, a homeless shelter um by the way of course uh so dear listeners i mentioned before about the issue of censorship and this is once again where we see this coming around um they were not allowed to show uh people of the opposite sex in bed together. Together, yeah. However, this film gets around it twice by having them sleep on in a train in car room. together and then on the, on the floor in a in a homeless shelter together as and well. Of like, I mean, that room is packed. They're like stuffed in there like sardines. Like sleeping on each other. Like on someone's each other. calf muscle is your yeah. pillow, you know. <laughs> um, but of course, what happens is um, poor Sullivan's shoes get stolen uh, while he's there. Now, this is rather important because apparently. The studio. Uh, yeah, the studio has has sewn into his shoes uh, an ID card for him. Uh, no, this is at the beginning of the film because apparently he wasn't rolling with a driver's license up to this point. But and they wanted, you know, in case something happened, he could show him the license and get back to Hollywood. Yep. Or yeah. in the event that he died, they could prove it to the insurance yeah. company and claim their million. Yes. There we go. Boom. One way or the other, we're having. Uh, he's got IDs in his shoes that are now been stolen by a tramp. <gasps> bum bum bum. Uh, so something happens by a swindler because poor people steal. Veronica knows that. Yes, mm. yeah, she's, she comments on it almost immediately. It's yeah, like but, it's actually like the thing she knows about poor people. But that's amazing because she doesn't fucking remember the guy stealing the shoes later. Yeah, she was totally unhelpful once. Uh, uh, yeah. plot, plot, plot holes aside, all right, let's, let's power on with this thing. Wisdom is the art of taking your own advice, Nicole. <laughs> How true? How true? And Veronica is not wise. No, no, not in this movie. So. We're moving on. Uh, they uh, Sullivan kind of ends his travels, right? And yeah, it's he's like he kind of saw it. He's like roaring revived. success. He's going to help the poor. The publicists that are decided this is the this is a triumph, greatest tragedy ever made. Well, the I world will weep. Humanity will sob. It'll put Shakespeare back with the shipping nose. Quiet. Your personal courage, your sacrifice, the legs to which you went to sample the bitter dregs of vicissitude will make old brother Arthur positively I'm beyond sorry to disappoint And you. what is the culmination of this whole experience that? allows them to go back to posh society. What's that? They open a garbage can and say, fuck this, yes. and leave. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no, we're not. Their rite of passage was opening and not actually indulging in anything in a garbage yes. can. Yes. Yeah. We had enough. Yeah. We're actually hungry. We're considering <laughs> eating garbage. Once again, food. Yes. Oh, brings <laughs> them back. Yeah, absolutely. So they, um, they run off, literally run off. From yeah. the garbage, yeah. They literally run away from the garbage. Back to Hollywood. Yeah. Like I said, triumph of the human uh, human condition. Amazing publicity for this thing. Like the Hollywood machine is kicking into yeah, publicity. Yeah, they're gonna mode. they're gonna they're gonna make an excellent film. They're gonna exploit film. the shit out of Sullivan's travels with poor people. <laughs> so Sullivan decides he's gonna take like one grand gesture, um, and really in the literally only... a one grand gesture. Yeah, ha, ha, yeah, ha, ha, yeah. Ha, ha. Jump. He's gonna hand out a thousand dollars worth of five dollar bills to random homeless people. By the way, the uh, inflation adjusted. Yeah, exactly. Inflation adjusted. Apparently, that is eighty five dollars yes. in today's money, which is nothing to sneeze at. If someone randomly gave me eighty five dollars, I'd be I, happy. I would thank them. Yeah, yeah. that'd be nice. Um, I'd be suspicious. 
I would. Well, I'd still thank them. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, good. So, <laughs> so um, he's gonna go around. He's gonna hand money to people uh, by himself, apparently, because yeah. this seemed like a good idea. Yeah, because obviously he doesn't realize, uh, you know, that when you walk around with large sums of money, that poor people will shank you for it. I, I understand that. I'm floored. The yes men around him didn't send a camera guy. Yeah, exactly. To get to document this. I mean, that, can you imagine the it's amazing... massively implausible, frankly. But I mean, also, I think and at night he's gonna do this like. At night, yes. I, I, again, yeah. I can imagine he's that stupid, yeah. but I expect the people who run. It's again, you have to. The artists are valuable. You have to pay them a lot of money, but you also have to have, have babysitting. Yeah, yeah, you have to protect them from themselves. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so Sullivan um, apparently gets shanked by the very man who stole his shoes. Coincidence? Coincidence. I think so. So yeah, he gets um he gets knocked and over. This the, is knocked uh, about the head area. Yes, and and we also learned that this is why poor people continue to be poor. Yeah, so. After <laughs> this guy shanks <laughs> poor old Sullivan and steals all the money, he just walks around with it in his hands and then through the he, train yard, yeah, through the train yard. And when the train's coming, he drops it and then he picks up some of it, still doesn't put it in his pockets, and then just stands in the middle of the track as he gets run over. Yes. So, you He's know, an indecisive guy. Yeah, like just you can see how maybe a lifetime of poor decision making got this man to where he was. Mm-hmm. And but of course this but being mangled by a fucking <laughs> fast moving train, the only thing that's left is the blood soaked money and a single shoe. shoe. Uh, so when they find, uh, so when the next day when they, when they can't find him, where did Sullivan go? Oh, where did he go? Let's call us around some places. Hey, let's uh call the morgue. Uh, there's a mangled tramp body, unidentifiable. Uh, what possible way might we be able to identify this person? Check the shoes, my good man. Check the shoes. And they find Sullivan's ID card and sewn into his shoes. So Veronica, who's there the whole time, fails to tell everybody that the shoes got stolen. Mm-hmm. And this is also, this is funny, because this is where the movie starts getting a little bit more serious. But I almost feel like this is kind of... Like, you could have almost started the movie here. Because this is where shit finally gets real. Yeah, shit gets real. Yeah. For Sullivan. Oh, I mean, and if they wanted to make this movie more real, <laughs> this is definitely where they would have started yeah. it. So, um, they think Sullivan's dead, which is a reasonable assumption. Yeah, yeah. and Sullivan's got some traumatic brain injury and has evidently been on a train for like three days and makes it to the end of the line. Yeah. And has no idea where he is. Gets out, uh, and once again, you know, he's concussed. He looks like he's in the south or something at yeah, this point. Yeah, he's jacked up. Yeah, he's jacked yeah. up. Um, so he's concussed. He gets, um, he, he comes to at the end the train yard, which apparently the rules of tramphood is you disembark before the train yard. Yes. That, yeah, that's reasonable. Okay, good. Yeah, because they don't want you on the train. They're like, you can use the fucking trains, you goddamn fucking tramps. Well, otherwise, he... you run into like literally the only law enforcement they've ever encountered. He's a railroad employee, sir. Yeah. He's a private. But he walks citizen. around with a shillelagh to beat the bums <laughs> off the train, so he means business. Yep, and he. Proceeds to beat Sullivan off the train, and Sullivan takes apparently some umbrage at being treated yeah. as such. Uh, gets knocked to the ground, finds that conveniently there is a fist-sized rock in his hand, and he uses it to beat this man about yeah. the face with it, which yeah. is apparently illegal. Uh, not only is it illegal, it's just kind of surprising, frankly, that yeah, a man like, with a billy club couldn't <laughs> defend himself. Well, it's also just surprising... This uh, tramp is fighting back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's also just it just seems out of character for Mr. Sullivan to like maybe act 
that impulsively, but he did just suffer traumatic brain injury. So. That's true. He didn't even know who he is. Yeah. So. Yeah, like all classic yeah, movie so then, tropes. And so then, there is a little bit of amnesia going on Yeah, so then he basically wakes up and he's at trial for beating said railroad employee. Mm-hmm. He still doesn't even remember his name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, his, his, uh, I'm, astu- I'm assuming his free attorney, of course, just pleads that he's guilty. Yes. And he gets, or just does a shit job in any which case. Which is what happens. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> right. and he gets. Relevant beyond And he gets years. charged 60 years hard labor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the, 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 the this way this where... develops, the camera is constantly in this, like, letterboxed haze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like it's like it's foggy. And it's got, I, I assume, by one way or another, it's it's designed to evoke that feeling that um, you know, how did how did I get here? Yes. The, like the the concept uh, this is and this is this is very much a poverty stricken thing that comes across in a lot of uh it comes across in a lot of people's stories when, you know, they the, the midlife crisis is yeah. the one where it mm-hmm. shows up the most frequently where it's just like you can't even fathom how you just how life ended up yep, here, here. Yeah. yeah and it's got that dreamlike quality to it except mm-hmm. he actually doesn't remember how he got there yeah that's yeah. the difference in this one but it is he's been hit does in the anyone head like yeah really yeah. <laughs> yeah does remember anyone the, really know how yeah, they got yeah. <laughs> conscious decisions you made to put yourself here yeah um so yeah, so Sullivan gets convicted. He goes to a work gang, uh, yeah, hard, labor. hard labor. It's to hard labor. So he's so, in. Yeah, basically, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Movie. Uh, we basically pick up where that movie starts yes. on the chain gang. Yeah, he's on the chain gang. You know, so he's a uh, little cool hand Luke situation going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, he's not really submitting to authority very well. Takes umbrage, not submitting to the Mister. Yes. No. Who also born to play that role. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if he's been in any other movies, to be honest with you. Uh, he's apparently a minor actor in almost 300 movies. He's got a look. Yeah, he oh, looks right like on. the mister yeah. at a rough labor camp. Yeah. Hello, Charlie. Hi, Jake. Put him in 13. Just a minute, boys. I want you to speak when you're spoken to around here. If you want anything, hold up your arm and wait. Listen, you. You say mister when you're talking to me. Put him in 13 and find him a bunk. Uh, and his right-hand man is like mm-hmm. my... Probably my favorite character in this whole movie. Oh, because he uh, I forget what his uh, his his uh, actor's name is Jimmy Conlon. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, trusty. I think is his yes, name. Yes, trusty. And yes, appropriate. He's, he's a character that just literally doesn't happen anymore. He like his timidity is so he's so uncharismatic. They wouldn't let someone like him in a movie. Well, you gotta learn. That's all. It ain't too easy at first, but after a while, you don't mind. We ain't so bad off. He ain't bad according to his lights. Has to deal with some pretty tough hombres. Got us chicken last Thanksgiving and some turkey ones for Christmas. No, I like the character a lot, though. So, yeah, so... Um, so this, this gets a little... This guy, I think this, see, like, this could have been a little bit more impactful had this kind of started out the movie, but this gets glossed over a little bit, just kind of the trials and tribulations. Like, they try to stick all the abuse, like, real close together, mm-hmm. so you kind of lose... It doesn't get, like, a good sense of time. Like mm-hmm. does the, it, the soundtrack's also now provided by the Mister as opposed yeah. to Sullivan mm-hmm. in this scene. Uh, <laughs> the Mister's floating in his canoe at his leisure. Oh, good stuff, with yeah. His, with his bloodhound dog. Yeah. Uh, being rowed down the river where they're working. And there's this really placid scenic music playing mm-hmm. while all these white guys are beating whatever the fuck they're doing. They're kidding rocks. They're laboring hardly. Yeah, they're yes. laboring. <laughs> Hard labor. Yeah. And he does something, he gets put in the sweat box. That's probably another reason why I was thinking Django and Chain. There's yeah. like yeah, a lot of similarities box. in just kind of the... 
slavery the aspect. The slavery aspect, yeah. <laughs> so uh, then we move to the next, the, really one of the pivotal scenes in the film, if there are any. Um, he, uh, so... They're, they they find out that they're that the mister allows them to go to the picture show. Picture go, to pic, show. go to picture show. And um but, but we get like a hard cut to a church in the bayou. On a swamp. Yeah. In a swamp. I mean it's all it's a good it's a good shot. It's a good It's uh, idyllic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but then it's a black church. It's a black church, and, oh, yeah. And they're uh they're you know, the you know, the the preacher says we've got some people who are gonna share our entertainment. Our less fortunate brothers. Yes, absolutely. and trust me. For a black person in the to south, say that, yeah, yeah, like there are others less fortunate than us. You realize how bad their situation, in fact, is. For we is all equal in the sight of God. Amen. And He said, "Let him who is without sin cast the first stone." Yeah. And the chain shall be struck from them, and the lame shall leap, and the blind shall see, and in the coming of the Lord. Now let's give our guests a little welcome. Um, so they clear out the first three rows. I thought that was good too. Yeah, they clear out the first three rows because, you know, the prisoners are white and they're blacks. They still get the front of the yeah, black people church. So then they bring uh, them in. That's only proper. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know. But it was just, it was kind of like a weird little, like, uh... Make yourselves at home. Yeah. yeah. They hem them and in. And I like, I love the way they hem them in. Oh, man. To like, yeah, the and they come in all beleaguered and chained like, together. Yeah. <laughs> Good shit, Israel, man. they're going to lead us out of, out of Egypt. Absolutely. Did God release me? They're singing. Let my go. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, is, is this the preacher from Nothing But a Man? I hope so. <laughs> I really do. Is there continuity here? <laughs> man, oh man, I, I just do. I love a good black preacher scene. What can I say? Um, so, uh, yeah. So we're moving on. Um, so they're gonna watch a movie, and uh, what movie do they show? Apparently, it's a fucking Pluto. Pluto the dog. Pluto yeah. the dog from, from Disney, and apparently, people found this funny, like rip roaringly funny. Oh yes. Like, Hilariousness going the prisoners, on. Prisoners, the black people, everybody enjoying the Disney. Embraced yes, Pluto getting stuck on flypaper. Oh my Hysteria. god! Yes, and even Sullivan himself, who is un. Well, first he looks around like he's like, trying, and he's like, "What hell? is this reaction of laughter? I yes. don't understand." Aren't you people miserable? Yeah, I'm miserable. Like, why aren't you sharing in <laughs> our, our labor situation? <laughs> Out of control. I'm not even getting paid for this work. So, um. Suddenly, with a little bit of laughter in his life, Sullivan realizes that this is bullshit. <laughs> like, I've got to get out of here. I've got to, like, put some serious brain thought into getting the fuck out of here. Because I remember who I am now. I'm a famous movie director. And I love this line. He's talking to his trusty as they're apparently chained together, sitting around enjoying their gruel on the side of the fucking river. And he's like, this doesn't happen to people like me. <laughs> The face. Yeah, like, this doesn't happen to people like me. Look, they don't sentence picture directors to a place like this for a little disagreement with a yard bull. Don't they? No. Oh. Um, so he fucking realizes, he's like, I gotta get my name in the, I gotta get my face in the picture. Well, he, he, he grabs, he grabs the paper from the trustee. Realizes he's dead. Realizes he's dead, and then the work boss goes, what are you doing, huh? You're not, you're not here to read the paper. Yeah, and absolutely. then he's like, 
I've got to get, I've, I've got to get my picture taken. Yeah. I've got to get my picture taken. I killed Sullivan. Yeah. So he, <laughs> yeah. So he decides that he kills Sullivan and admits to it, so that his picture can get in the paper, so that they can discover that he's in this work camp and he can make it back to Hollywood. A, hey. a genuine 1940s celebutant move. Yes, absolutely. Feigning murder <laughs> to get out of in the interest yeah. oh. of celebrity. <laughs> but like once again, like the idea that. Because, like, Trusty's like, well, you know, like, what do you mean? You know, like, he's like, it's not unjust what happened to Sullivan. Sullivan's just like, this shit doesn't happen to people yeah, like me. I mean, because he did legitimately smash that guy in the face with a rock. Well, apparently, uh, when he finds out all this is done, right, so, I was, but the, one of the good scenes, Veronica Lake, now apparently working actress, Veron, uh, yeah. uh, the girl in the movie, um, sees his picture, fucking does a beeline out of the studio, <laughs> runs in costume all through, just... No security runs right into the fucking head guy's yeah. the, the head guy's office, shows them the picture, and then it's a great flurry of, of, people, of phone calls, phone calls, people talking and like fast Hollywood jives and listen here, Mister and yeah, it's good stuff. So they get Sullivan off, uh, yeah, get him off apparently. Yeah, oh, yeah. and then we yeah, find no. his tax bride off wife. He'll re- pay for the damages. Remarried I mean, because she better. thought he was dead. Absolutely. So our rom com can pick back up. Absolutely. And the girl and our director. Yep. Get back together because that's what old movies do. Yes. And um, so he realizes, so they said, oh man, this is going to be amazing, Sullivan. This is an amazing thing. We're, you're going to be able to make Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's going to be the most publicized movie in the history of the planet. We're all going to make a fucking fortune. You're a genius. You're, you're wonderful. Be, you're the artist. You're wonderful. What are we doing here? And he's like, I want to make fucking Ants in My Pants. 1942, Paul Blart, Mall Cart, Cop, um, Adam, Adam Sandler, comedies. fucking comedies, yeah. Uh, because that's what poor people want to see. Yes. Because a little bit of laughter is, some t- is, some, is, is all people have, I guess. And then we see... And it's out. also massively profitable. Yes, massively profitable, absolutely. Capital wins in the end. So, yeah. So, basically, you know, the studio execs got what they wanted. And the the house always Sullivan, wins. Yes. Yeah, it was for Sullivan to not make shitty art films and just keep making comedies and keep making money. And keep Sullivan's dra- travels brought him in a, cir- you know, a circuitous way back to, to what the execs wanted in the first place. To, to bring a favorite quote of the Magnation Log back in, <laughs> I didn't get a bathroom door that looks like a wall by being bad at business. <laughs> So these execs know what they're doing. Yeah. So I mean, why, David? Why did I pick this film? Well, apart from because you like Veronica Lake. Yeah, it's several reasons. Veronica Lake, foremost among them. Secondly, secondly, it is a Criterion film, which qualified it. Thirdly, Michael Bay wins. All right, Michael Bay wins. He wins at life. He wins at movie making. He just wins. And this film, I think, demonstrates this fact that that Michael Bay wins in life, and I'm okay with that. I think I'm I think I'm okay (laughs) with that now. So, so watching this actually gave you a better opinion of the two movies that you totally wanted to obliterate. So I I was listening. I was listening to the previous Armageddon podcast. I thought that was a good one. Well, no, it's good stuff too. But one of my quotes kind of hit me, where (laughs) as I'm like making fun, I I was struck by my profundity. Yeah, I was. I didn't remember it. It was so profound in the moment. But it, uh, I believe I said, you know, I was bagging on Mike, Michael Bay, and then I think the line was, well, nobody's ever given me $180 million to make a film. And that is completely true, you know? Like, my, Michael Bay's doing something right in life. 
that I am not doing. And so I just wanted to clarify, because I know Michael Bay listens, and I just want to say, Michael, that, you know, I know you're, I know Him you're and Ben listen Yeah, ben, ben, ben and my, yeah, absolutely. They pull up a couch. Yeah, they're good friends of the pod, you know. Um, you know, that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I didn't realize the value in what you do. And Sullivan's, has, Sullivan's Travels has brought me, uh, made me aware of this. Because I realize that my whole life has basically been, apart from the romantic comedy aspect of it and dating Veronica Lake, which is a big hole in my story, but, you know, I've lived Sullivan's Travels, <laughs> you know, and I don't have Hollywood to go to. Michael Bay does. Michael Bay does. So and I just, so does Sullivan. So does Sullivan now. That's destiny. So, uh, so... so um, I like this movie. <laughs> I liked this movie when I was a kid, and I like this movie because the happy ending is truly an unhappy ending. Um, that I like this movie. <sighs> so from time to time, dear listeners, you might have assumed that I have a lot of pretension to me. Trust me, I'm not pretentious because I'm not pretending. Uh, I have um, a high opinion about what I think art should be. I have a high opinion of what I think film should be. But at the same time, I do, and I hope I have professed several times my admiration for films that don't meet up to the kind of high standard that I hold a lot of films to. Um, you know, I, I love Tombstone. We talked before about, like, my problem with Armageddon is not the Bruce Willis aspect of that <laughs> film. Like, I do enjoy the Diehards, and I will watch Die Hard Without a Vengeance at any time, on any format, in any setting, with anybody. And, you know, it's... But at the same time, uh, I do like this film because while I think it has high ambitions, um, it also doesn't bullshit. And that's what I fucking like about films as well. Uh, is when they don't bullshit me. And I don't think this movie bullshits people. There is a very interesting arc going through this film to where poverty, and I, when we're gonna pick some movies, I think Herzog does some great films about people who are excluded from society, and I think it, he does a very good and powerful way of demonstrating that, because Herzog is about you know, people on the fringe. I mean, Herzog himself is yeah, a man on the yeah, fringe. Yeah, Herzog, yeah, is a man of the fringes. And what is interesting, though, is that poverty is not a fringe. Poverty is like the foremost experience of the majority yeah, of that's people a, on most, this planet. That's what, yeah, yeah, that's what most people are experiencing, yeah. And so this film, without wanting to... Because what's interesting is that, what, as, I, as I was reading in preparation for this, uh, this movie gets praised for having some of the most frank portrayals of poverty that's kind of been located in film. It doesn't fucking... It shows you how much of a bubble Hollywood was. Absolutely. The idea that... But it, one of the things I think is most powerful about this film, and believe it or not, when I was like 12, 13 years old, I liked this about this movie, um, is that it doesn't tell me tell me how to fucking live. Like, Sullivan's journey is not some larger allegory for how we can find happiness in life. It's almost specifically designed to, to tell you that you can't follow other people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and this is like one of the fucking cool things about this film, right? This is where to some to a large degree other films that I have previously enjoyed mainly the first one we did on this program like <laughs> has you know, like has kind of the extreme angle and I like and I like both films for their own for for what they try to say and how they go about saying it. But this film does not pretend to, and that's why it's not pretentious, right? This film does not pretend to tell you or to make some grand statement about poverty. It isn't some kind of 
Horatio Alger, up by your bootstraps, little boy from the small town makes good kind of fucking success story here. Like, no, like, this isn't going to, like, give us some sort of model or, or parrot back to us the kind of, you know, feel goodness of Americanism that we should fucking come away from no, this. No, these film people as. are, these people understand they're too far in the bubble for that anyways. And that's, that's what we get from this movie is kind of like, like a, um, you know, like I said, you know, we, we get what the movie execs want. Like, the people in the bubble got what they wanted, ultimately. So his journey, like, just led him back to where he is supposed to be, which mm-hmm. is in the director's chair making bad comedies. Like, it wasn't... There's there's no, like, cathartic ending where he's, you know, now understands poor people. Like, he, he just understands what he can do within this situation. And I think it's really important... And that he doesn't belong with the poor people anyways. Like, yeah. (laughs) The way in which this movie is more mature than many, many other portrayals of things like it is that it does not... Not only do the characters not cop to believing they understand what poor people are like, but the movie doesn't either. Yeah. Uh, And that's extremely important because in modern, even, even in a lot of films where it's not supposed to be this self-referential about a rich person trying to understand poor people, every Hollywood movie Mm -hmm. that portrays poor people is rich people trying to understand poor people. Yes. That is a, that is a tautological fact Mm -hmm. of what is being portrayed on screen. So anytime there is a romance to poverty that is Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is Sullivan being projected forward into the future, uh, taking the way unironic approach to the moral of this mm-hmm. movie, which is essentially that you are where you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, then, and that that has consequences, right? I mean, that has a kind of point to it. You are where you are. And there's like an, there's a lot of accident to that, I think. Yeah, you know, and the film doesn't. Oh, this movie makes no apologies yeah, no. for <laughs> Sullivan or the executives. No. The, they're in the very first scene of the movie. They basically talk about how much of a complete accident the fact that they're all in that room talking about yeah. it really mm-hmm. is. I mean, they didn't. None of the three people there genuinely bootstrapped their way into Hollywood. No, I mean they were all boarding school kids, and this is this is. Where what happens, you know? Board, like, yeah, boarding school kid. One of them opened a shooting gallery with yeah. his uncle's money. I mean, and that's I, I know I'm stealing this quote from somewhere, uh, but I'm not going to cite it because I don't remember who it is. I mean, uh, it's oh, what the fuck is it? He worked his way up from the bottom to the top. How much luckier can you get? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there is it, even if Sullivan is the one who is just accidentally a genius, mm-hmm. he's accidentally a genius. Yeah, like that is providential and destiny and all the other fancy words for it and all the shorter words for it, fate in particular. Because this movie, this movie is about fate. This yeah. movie is, it, and at the very end, Sullivan realizes the last time that this stuff doesn't happen. To him, well, like him, yeah. This doesn't happen to him. That is, that is an expression of fate, and it's his admission that fate is playing that role in his life. Which, and that's and which yes. he can't admit to himself mm-hmm. until he's gone on this fake adventure to try. Mm-hmm. Well, but that you also aren't realizing the most within yourself when you don't take advantage of the of the of that luck. You yeah. know, there's like there's a certain amount of like you know, like in essence, and it is. Not this is because like when the film comes out and when you read some criticism or some theory behind this film, like it gets some fucking like some really high waisted you know like uh, vitriol going on yeah. about the idea that this is a 
conservative propaganda about knowing your place. And I don't fucking see that as well. But then at the same time, I don't see this as being any kind of large sociological, like, semi-Marxist message no, coming through this thing I don't either. See, I don't this see labor capital thing yeah. gets hinted in this film, and I don't fucking buy it either. And I think this guy, this Preston Sturgis guy, I think has some... Thank God, by yeah, the way. Yeah. You know, I think he's... This is why I think this film is so neat, is that it doesn't... It... He... Yeah, while being aware of... Uh, what, okay. Several comments from the people we were watching the movie with, and I don't know who it was... I think mentioned the fact that like well why why make this a comedy like why why include these elements in the film and I think it was a rather deft choice to say that you know like we're not just going to make this to be like a black comedy in per se but that the film has these major tonal shifts in it and I like movies like like I like my symphonies you know like I want fucking mm-hmm. like perspective man like I want fucking dramatic arc Oh, that and was that like, you're like, this is the fourth act. Just shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, no, like, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, no, we're in a yeah. movement, man. Like, this thing fucking transitions, and it has different different aspects to it. And I like films, like, and I like music that take these kind of sharp transitions and juxtapose these ideas within themselves. It's one of the hardest things to do. I mean, my favorite Beatles song um, is Happiness is a Warm Gun. I love that song. Because, like... There is not a repetition of anything. It like is one part is different from the next part is different from like completely different from each other, and it's fucking brilliant. And when we're we talking about movie, yes, we're talking about a movie. <laughs> Steve Reich, yeah, exactly, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I enjoy the fact that this film takes on and and lives through its uh, through its medium, not its message. And this is what I think is cool about this is that look. In the end, I don't think the, the message and the meaning of this film is the right or wrong way to look at it. Like, what the film comes away with is this rather, you know, cause it is Hollywoodized, right? Yeah. It's rather, it's rather like done up and portrayed in its own, in its own light as being more important than perhaps it is. But at the same time, it appears to me to say that, look, it, like truly helping people is by perhaps being the best person you fucking can be in the situation you find yourself at. Yeah. I mean, the actual things that he does to improve people's lives, he doesn't fucking Francis of Assisi himself and fucking give up everything to become a hermit and no, live this way. No, that's not, that's, yeah, that, well, that's not going to do anyone good. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's like, all right, well, I make, I make movies. I can fucking give where I can yeah. give and I'm going to make movies. Like, I don't think that it has this, I mean, the, the film is almost, revolutionary and it's like kind of like just like realistic and reasonable way that it approaches its message and that's what's kind of fucking half enjoyable about the thing no it is it is impressively unpreachy and it's cool like yeah. I just think it's a fucking cool movie and it's got Veronica Lake in it and, oh, the, the, and the it's got Veronica Lake in it. I mean, like, what more do you want? Yeah, the, the land yacht scenes are all oh, that, fantastically that was my, timed. That was my favorite part. Like, I, yeah. you know, because normally... The whole, just the idea of it yeah, is fucking well, normally, funny. Normally, especially in these old movies, like, I'm not, like, a huge slapstick fan, but I really... They're normally not that well timed. That's what I mean, mm-hmm. but I really enjoyed, like, the first, third slapstick portion of this, more so than I, I normally do in these older classic Hollywood films. Well, and and when you look at Prestis Sturge's career, mm-hmm. like this is kind of held up to be um, his kind of like major film or so. He's got a couple other good ones uh, that I just have memories of. I don't okay. I haven't seen them recently at all. But otherwise, you know, he kind of is like he's the genre skipper. If we can use like a okay. Mighty Boosh kind of saying, you know, like <laughs> he just kind of like moves through genres. 
and is fucking very good at all of them, but not like great or masterful okay. in any of them. And what's kind of interesting is that a film that kind of splits in all of the different genres becomes his kind of masterpiece. Because what's weird is is that the you know like like many of the movies that become famous or well-known, it was not successful initially. And you could definitely see why this film was not successful initially. You right? can see it, how people in 41 would not think this is humorous, as we have, like, looking back at all that history and mm-hmm. seeing it. But uh, this film's reputation has grown over time, and I think for very good reasons, um, because it does kind of show us the way, or, or I think one of the more, like I said, reasonable and responsible ways to make a film with a message is to you know, be focused on what you want to say, but not have any sort of pretensions that you're going to, like, be able of, like, changing someone's life by film. I think when when film is impactful in that way, it's not done so on a mass scale, right? There's no, like, film that's going to be made that's going to, like, convert the fucking chosen people into, like, you know, into some sort of, like, revolutionary mindset or something. Avatar. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to fucking solve the world's crisis through movies. But that doesn't mean that it can't be part or express something of that's within us individually. And that's what I think is so fascinating about film is that it's a uniquely intense personal experience that we share together as a group, but it doesn't work. It doesn't go outward in, it goes inward out and our connection to film and to people who enjoy film as well. And that's what I think the, a lot of times is sometimes problematic, which is that people think, especially I think you can imagine a filmmakers thinking that this is something that they put into people rather than finding and connecting with something that's already there. Yeah. And that's what I think this film tries to do. So, um, Sullivan's Travels, not a bad little flick, huh? No. I'll be honest with you, it's been about 20 years since I've seen this thing, so. <laughs> I, this is, I had not, I had not seen this one. Yeah, this was a, this was yeah. a, this was an early favorite of mine. Like I said, I mentioned before, probably, Veronica Lake <laughs> is in this film. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, um, but I did find it, and then when I was doing some research about it, I'd see, I saw it come up on some of the top ten lists. I saw it come up on a few people's top ten lists. Yeah, we go to yeah. the Criterion page, and you can find some, they have like a top ten section where different filmmakers and writers have uh, their top ten movies, and when I was kind of looking through it, I was like, Sullivan's Travels came up a couple times, and I was like, yeah, yeah this, this movie's going to be fun, so... It was enjoyable and actually was pretty fun. Well, the movie I'm going to pick did not oh, show yes. up bum, on, bum. on anybody's uh, top ten list that I looked through. Okay. But it also has a really hot, skinny <clears throat> blonde in it. Excellent. So that'll be the connecting point here. Excellent. <laughs> so, what, uh, Nicole, you mentioned... So we're going on another uh, Criterion journey after this. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pick The Night Porter. Oh, uh, very good. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> because I want to watch it again. And Lou and I got a little contentious after watching it the first time, like seven years ago, mm-hmm. and I don't remember exactly why. It can it so can you want to relive some... that argument. Well, yeah, there, I I wanted to see what the ambiguity was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if there's if there's a film that can cause an argument, this would be one of those. Films. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's there's some ambiguity here. There's some weird Nazi sex here. It's an Italian film from like the early seventies. And I think it's a female director. Yeah, it's got it all. Yeah. Yeah, what's the, what's not to like? Spicy. Yeah, what's not to like? Yeah. So, and it's got one of my favorite. He's he's not quite classic Hollywood. He's a little little outside, but you know, the way that Ryan speaks so highly of Veronica Lake. Mm-hmm. I love Beauregard. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but I don't know. I don't know if he's classic Hollywood, but he has a classic 
Hollywood name. Dirk well, Dirk Beauregard. Beauregard. Well, he was, yeah, he was homosexual, not before it was fashion, fashionable, but back when it was controversial. Yeah, back when it was dangerous. When it, yeah, when it when was it dangerous. Was illegal. Yeah, yeah, it was basically. illegal. <laughs> Um, but yeah, 2006. <laughs> oh oh um, shit. So yeah, I mean, not quite as classic as Ryan's, but this is mm-hmm. kind of—it's a little bit more of a classic era for me too. Well, I mean, mine was kind of mine was a little bit lighter fare, you yeah. know, like even, this, even the depth older, of this film is kind of lighter. He's older in this one too, because he did his stuff started back in the black and white era too. This so movie's he, a gut punch, though. Like yeah. this, this is going to be good stuff. I can't yeah. wait to watch this with a movie crew. This is going to be fun. But unfortunately, that is going to have to wait a little while because yes. uh, Nicole's going on a uh, West Coast adventure. She's I got am. matching knitted caps to wear on her thing. Well, because, you know, I want my life to be a Wes Anderson movie. Yes. <laughs> right. You guys have to stare blank-faced. and uh, Get many pictures of you guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, various repose. I'm lending you my GoPro, and uh, as Jacob says, you do have to provide the excitement. Yeah, yes. so. I have. I have been informed that owning a GoPro does not make your life more exciting. No, you have to get. You have to record your own excitement. That's Excellent. where the excitement okay. comes from. Unfortunately, right. those scaling buildings, though, I see that all the time. But there will be a bunch of other podcasts going up in the meantime. Sweet. Um, I'll be in Chicago recording a bunch of shit with. Uh, Are Alicia you going to Chicago Thomas. this weekend? Um, I'm going from, uh, I don't think my boss listens to this Wednesday to Monday. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we won't tell. And I'll be at work anyway. It's not an actual uh, vacation. I just need to get out there for a bunch of reasons. But we'll be recording the, uh, the second Procession of Conspiracies podcast. Oh, dear. Uh, right. Codename The Gipper File. <laughs> um... <laughs> And uh, oh, that'll be taking up a lot of my time, probably, while I'm up there. Excellent. Uh, there's a lot of books to read. Gary Sick features in a lot of them. Um, but do I not, is, it, is it a conspiracy that I don't know what's going on? Uh, it, it, I think we already talked about it. It's basically Does it involved deep state. Uh, if, oh my god, damn it! Um, Jesus Christ! The deepest. No, it's the um, it's. It's the October's Prize conspiracy over the Iranian hostage crisis. Oh, very nice. And whether or not Khomeini was enough of a bastard to actually negotiate with Republicans, or if he was just a lazy enough old man being stodgy that he just flipped Carter the Bird. So this no is reason. yeah, but this is the Nixon submarining the the peace talks in Vietnam before the election too kind of thing, right? Yeah. Oh, good stuff. This is my kind of machinations I can get behind. Well, you can be part of Conproc Three then. Woo! We haven't picked that one yet. Oh, awesome. Good we, stuff. We don't know if we're going to pick a more uh, specific to now one. Uh, but with the CIA in the news as much. What about lizard people? Uh, we'll get there. Okay. Yeah, we won't. Walk, walk, crawl before you there. walk, you know? But that's, yeah. No. Crawl before you slither, Nicole. <laughs> but no, there's a lot of... there's. There's a lot of stuff to fact check there, and none of it actually comes together. Excellent, But yeah. man, does it almost, yeah. almost come together. No, man, that's the problem. Conspiracy theories, at least 70% true. Yeah. At least. This one's version on 90%, and it still might just be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I mean, once again, percentages with conspiracies are just, are not like, they're a volume measure, not like a centrality measure, you know, like not a, not yeah. a, not a prescience measure. Oh, and that's, the, the answer in this one is going to be really muddy, Good. I think, so. Excellent. Well, I will look forward to it. Yep. But in the Sweet. meantime. Thanks for getting this movie in before I leave on vacation. Right on, man. Nicole. David. Ryan. Yes, sir. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Good morning, everyone.